I want you to go ahead and uh, turn to Jude, verses 3 and 4. Jude, going to be in verses 3 and 4. Jude's at the end of the New Testament. It's right before Revelation. We're going to spend some time uh, really surveying the whole letter, but we will put an emphasis on verses 3 and 4. And while you turn there, I want to give you a, a, a quick snapshot of where we're headed for the next four weeks. Today we're going to start a four-week study, a review of our core values as a church. Uh, we have four core values, uh, distinctives that uh, we uh, really try to ensure that we are adhering to as a church body. Uh, those are on the screen there, doctrine, uh, which we will look at today, discipleship, devotion, and deployment. Now, we review these yearly for a few reasons. Uh, one, it's good to have a refresher for us all. Uh, we're not the type of church that constantly talks about our values. Uh, we don't have any um, real clicky taglines, not to say it's wrong, but we just, that's just not our style. We don't always uh, talk about these are our values, these are what we are doing. Uh, we're committed to God's word first and foremost. And so uh, it's good, and we do it yearly, so that way we have a refresher. Uh, we have new people that have entered into the church. Uh, and so we just want to be reminded of uh, what are our values as a church body. And then secondly, we want to look and we want to evaluate and see where we are. So if these are our values, how are we doing in these areas? Um, if we are uh, to call ourselves a church that adheres to distinct values, uh, I think it's only right that we look and we check in and do some self-evaluation. And for one, we want to grow in these areas, right? Uh, we want to grow. We want to uh, continually, as a church, we want to grow uh, as a body of Christ uh, for our good and for God's glory. Uh, and we also want to be challenged. Uh, we never want to be stagnant in our lives. Uh, we never want to just get comfortable of where we are as a church body. And so uh, because of these things, uh, we will look at our four values for the next four weeks starting today. And then after that, we're going to jump back into uh, our study of the gospel according to John. Uh, we've been looking at that. We are in the beginning of chapter 12. We've been looking at that for the last about year and a half. And so we've been doing a verse-by-verse -verse exegetical study of the gospel according to John. And we will pick that up then. But today, we start with our first core value, doctrine. And so I want to give us a definition from our website. Uh, and this is just a summary of uh, what we believe doctrine is and why it is important. And so I want to read this for us so that way we're all on the same page. CCF defines doctrine as a summary of biblical teaching that is both faithful to the full counsel of God's word and useful for life. We believe that right thinking leads to right living. Consequently, the only way to develop right thinking is to submit ourselves to the Bible's instruction in all matters. Doctrine is our foundation, and as a church, we are unapologetically committed to the truths found in God's word. So that is a quick summary of what we believe, why we believe it, and why we believe it's important. And today I want us to look at this short letter from Jesus's half-brother Jude, because I believe it's a helpful reminder for us that uh, we are to hold fast to the doctrine that has been given to us. In other words, we are to hold fast to the truth. So let me read verses 3 and 4 for us. Uh, while we're looking at 3 and 4, I'm going to make some observations. Uh, we'll make some application, and then we will look at uh, the end of this letter as well for some closing application. But let me read just 3 and 4 for us, and then I will pray and ask the Lord to uh, be with us, and then we will get into his word. Jude, verse 3, would you hear the word of the Lord? Beloved, 
Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, This is the word of God. Let us go to him in prayer. Uh, Father, we are grateful for this day. We are grateful that we get the opportunity to gather as your people, and I pray that you would use this time for our good and for your glory. Uh, Would you encourage those that are heavy-hearted? Would you strengthen our faith as we adhere to your word and hear from what your word has to say to us today. Would you illuminate this text? And so I ask what we know not, you would teach us, and what we are not, you would make us. What we have not, you would give us by your grace for your glory. And God's people said, amen. So on July the 4th, this past Independence Day, I was hanging out with some friends, and uh, we had spent a beautiful day together, enjoying the beautiful weather. And at the end of the day, we had decided to make our way to Thomas Road Baptist Church uh, to their uh, Freedom Fest, their Celebrate America uh, festival that they have because, let's be honest, they put on a really good fireworks show. And so we all packed up our stuff and we decided to make our way there and uh, we arrived uh, sun in the sky. We started to unpack our things and I'm pulling out our my chairs and everything from the back of my truck. My wife's getting our kids out. We're uh, just ready to enjoy the day. Some of our friends had already, uh, they had already planted uh, into the, we were gonna hang out down there at the field that's right below the football stadium. If you're familiar with Liberty, uh, you know where that's at. And so uh, we're, we're ready to just enjoy this fireworks show. So as soon as my family arrived and kind of got to the spot where we were going to start hanging out, we looked up and there was a dark black storm cloud. Some of you were there and you're smiling right now because you remember this. And we looked up and we're like, oh man, uh, we might be in trouble. And so after a few minutes of deliberation, uh, me and my friends, we all decided that we would make our way back to our vehicles and uh, we would put our stuff back in the the vehicles and we would maybe see if this storm passed and uh, we would kind of wait it out. My family was in the car. I was loading up our stuff and all of a sudden it was like, doo-doo-doo-doo, doo-doo-doo-doo, and it to the tone of something, uh, please find the closest shelter. A storm is approaching. Doo-doo-doo-doo, again. And so I admit it was a little startling, and it was really a good reminder because I could look back down to the field, and there were a lot of people that had just decided they were going to hang out there. No matter what was coming their way, they were going to stay there in the storm's path. And so we got in the vehicle and we said, hey, yeah, this is a a pretty serious storm. And no sooner as I started my truck, the clouds opened up and the rain dumped on us. Lightning's everywhere. Thunder is going crazy. And we realized like, yeah, it's a good thing that we got out. And just as the siren went off that evening to warn those in earshot that a severe storm had arrived and must be taken seriously, here Jude is doing the same thing. See, Jude here is sounding the alarm. He is letting people know, his reader, that there is clear and present danger on the horizon. And while we look at our text, I want us to first notice that Jude is a man who loves his audience. He loves the recipient of this letter. Look at what he calls them. He says, beloved. Now, this is meant to show personal affection. 
It's meant to show a deep care for the one addressed. See, we make our here first observation by seeing that sounding the doctrinal alarm is a loving response when errors arise. Sounding the doctrinal alarm is a loving response when errors arise. Now listen, we live in a time when people are governed by their feelings. They're governed by their feelings rather than the truth. See, many people believe that the only thing that is absolute in this world or about a matter is the way that they feel about that matter. And if you infringe upon their feelings by presenting biblical truth, then you are deemed intolerant, unkind, and unloving. And look, I won't belabor this point. You can probably uh, think of an experience that you've had in your own life. I mean, I unfortunately see this far too often in the church. Talk to somebody and they have one feeling about a particular matter. Maybe it's their own actions. Maybe it's something they're dealing with. And you present them with biblical truth. And all of a sudden, their posture, their tone just changes. They're like, wait a second. I don't like this. I, I, I don't appreciate you coming at me at this angle because, you know what, it doesn't make me feel good. My response is always, but what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about said matter? But let us take note of the care to which Jude is writing here. The way in which he starts out, beloved, beloved. And what is his love based on? What is the root of his love for these people, for his reader? We see that in the greeting if we look up at verse 1. It's in God's love for them. It's in God's love. See, this is the way he greets them in verse 1. Look there with me. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So that's who he is. This is the from Jude. And the to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. I mean, this is where he's rooted himself. He's saying these are God's people that God loves. So because of that, I love these people and I am not afraid to tell them the truth. So two quick applications for us. One, as a recipient of loving correction, we must understand that it is done in love. We must understand that when we feel as if we're kind of getting our, our feelings infringed upon, maybe something that we do not like, if it is from God's word, that it is in love. Uh, second, for the deliverer of truth. We must always ensure that our approach is rooted and based in love. Not our own pride, not our own uh, intelligence, not in a way to show how knowledgeable we are about said subject. No, it is to show love to the recipient, to help them to see that there is danger. Ephesians 4.15, Paul gives us a really good reminder. Speak the truth in what? Love. In love. See, that's the way Christians are called to speak the truth. We're not to be afraid of the truth. We're not to not proclaim the truth, but we are to speak the truth in love. So beginning with a posture of love is how Jude begins. And what does he say? Look at verse 3. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all 
delivered to the saints. So Jude eagerly anticipated writing about their common salvation. Uh, And this is a term that would mean just the salvation that they all shared. It's something that they had in common. It's something that they all could relate to. Uh, scholars disagree here and different what he would have written about. We have no idea. He could have uh, potentially wanted to write a letter about some theological point to help everyone grow. Uh, he may have just wanted to write a letter of encouragement to his brothers and sisters uh, to just tell them that he was excited about their faith. We don't know the exact details. But whatever the case may be, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through him, Jude changed his mind. He had to redirect. And instead, he pins this letter out of what? Necessity. He he pins it out of a necessity to address those to which he is thinking of. Uh, This brings us to our second observation here. A remedial response is a necessity when errors emerge. A remedial response is a necessity when errors emerge. See, sometimes we have to change our course of action, don't we? I mean, this happens all of the time. Uh, We might have particular plans for a conversation, and all of a sudden we enter into that conversation and something is said that just doesn't sit right with us. And, and it's like the, the spirit is just impressing upon us. Like our, our conscience will not let us not say something about whatever has just been brought up. Uh, maybe for some it's uh, you're on the way home. I've had this happen before where you're on your way home. And uh, you've got plans for one thing with your kids, maybe. And then you find out they've been disobedient all day and the plans change. Uh, Maybe for some, it's you go home and you're ready to relax. And because you've just had a really hard day, but you realize, uh, for me, it's that mama has had a really hard day. And so my plans of relaxing, uh, they need to change. Uh, And I'm going to have to step in and let mama relax because the kids have been uh, very feral during that day. And so we, we change our course of action. And this is exactly what is happening here. He's saying here, I wanted to do one thing, but I have to do this. I must address this issue that's at hand. And what is his response? How does he change? He goes from, I wanted to just write some common salvation stuff, but I have to do this. He says, I, have, I want to appeal to you. And this means to exhort. It means to urge his reader to contend. Look there at that word. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I want to make our third observation here, and that is that we must be contenders of the once for all unchanging truth of God's word. We must be contenders of the once for all unchanging truth of God's word. See, the word contend here is similar to our word agonizing. Uh, This would also have tones of an athlete uh, working towards competing in an event, uh, trying to accomplish something. Uh, This could be by way of fighting. It, It could be way of battling. It could be by way of any thing that would cause one to to get into the environment and get active with it in an effort to win. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you, are you a contender of the faith? Do you find yourself contending for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, here Jude is calling his reader to activity. He is saying you must be involved in the fight to protect 
the purity of the faith. You must be active. I'm calling you, I'm appealing to you to be contenders in this matter. Now, the term faith here doesn't mean like our faith in terms of how we have faith in something. Uh, While I do believe that faith is a gift, that is not what is being communicated here. Jude is saying that there is something specific here that must be contended for. There's something particular, unchangeable, that must be defended. We must also notice that it says that it's been delivered to us. This means that it has been given. It has been declared. And it has been given to us in God's word, brothers and sisters. See, it is God's word that is unchanging. It is God's word that gives us the answer for everything we need in this life and thereafter. We must be committed to the unchanging word of God. Uh, The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, quote, the great business of the saints, the holy The saintly among men is to defend, if necessary, with their lives, the faith once delivered to them. We are put in trust with the gospel. We are trustees of a divine deposit of invaluable truth. We must be true to our trusts at all costs, end quote. Are you doing that today? Is this at the core of your Christian life? That you've rested in Christ and that you defend the truth to which you rest upon. See, that's, that's how it works. That's how it works within us. Uh, as we read earlier, we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's not our work. It's his work. And why were we created? For good works. See, God has called us now because of, not to earn favor with him, but because of our favor with him, to now live in a way that is different than the world around us. We're called to be contenders, proclaimers, heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ, Christ, to repent and believe in him. And him alone. If you recall, Paul tells young Timothy and Timothy uh, to, to what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who what? Will be able to teach others also. See, this is the way it goes. We learn, we teach. We learn, we teach. Friends, listen to me. We do not have editorial liberties when it comes to passing down the truth of God's word. We're not editors. We're deliverers. We are called to contend for the word of God as it has been delivered to us. I'll give you an example and something that's very real in my own life. So think of postal workers. Uh, We have a male lady who's wonderful, and uh, she delivers our mail. Uh, We've been in our home now that we own now for about two and a half years. And since day one, I have continually received the previous owner's mail. No matter how many times I tell them, he don't live here. No matter how many times I've told him to tell them, he doesn't live here. I still receive this mail. But listen, her job is to do one thing, deliver what she's been given. If she does anything else, uh, she could face charges. Federal, she can't tamper with the mail. She, She must deliver what her master, the postmaster, tells her to deliver. Brothers and sisters, that is exactly what we're called to do. 
It don't matter how much I don't like getting the wrong mail. It don't matter how much I don't want to get junk mail that's sent to me. She delivers what she's been given. And friends, in the same way, we too are called to deliver the truth, to deliver what has been given to us without creative liberties, without softening it down and and trying to make it more palatable. Speak the truth in love. What is this faith? Just so we have clarity here. What Jude is talking about here specifically is just the whole counsel of God. It's the faith. It's something specific. And that's largely his point. Simply, if I were to pull a verse that would say, well, this is what we're called to just the faith. And if I were to put the faith on something, the gospel on a verse, I would hang it on this, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Paul writes, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He goes on. He says, for I delivered, so he received, he delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. I mean, even Paul here is saying, I'm a recipient of this, and now I'm delivering it to you. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the 12, goes on to say he appeared to to hundreds more, and so forth. But we get the point here, I think. We are called to proclaim this truth, essentially that Jesus Christ is the only redeemer. Jesus Christ is the son of God. Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again, and people saw him. So what are you going to do with that? How will you respond? I mean, brothers and sisters, friends that are here that may not follow Christ, have not submitted their lives to him as their Lord, let me urge you, repent, turn from your sins, believe that there is salvation available to you. You don't have to have it all figured out right now. Come as you are. He won't leave you where you are. He'll change you. He'll grow you. He'll strengthen you. But brothers and sisters, friends, this is the truth we must proclaim. In church, this is a serious matter that has eternal consequences. This is a truth that we must proclaim regularly. I don't know what you spend your time doing. I don't know how you engage with unbelievers. But let me just encourage you to have a backbone, to have spine, to not flounder around and to just willy-nilly with the truths of Scripture, to know what you believe and then be able to articulate it in a way that will reach the loss. And listen, having this core value, knowing what we believe, why we believe it, is not just for external threats. It's internal threats that we as Christians, the church, need to be most aware of. It's internal for certain people have crept in unnoticed, he writes. Look at verse 4. What have they done? They've made their way into the believers, the church. He's probably writing to house churches at this time, but he warns them. There's people that have crept in. They're right there with you. 
They're, they're, they're there. And what are they doing? They're leading people astray. Do you know that in church history, the most prevalent, the most popular, uh, the ones that gained the most traction, the false teachings that gained the most were the ones that were rooted in Scripture, a manipulation of Scripture, a misinterpretation of Scripture. See, most false teachers won't come in and just immediately show their hand. What they do is they, one, they, they like to play on one's feelings, their emotions. They want to draw a crowd and, and make you feel some type of way and then capitalize upon that with their own misconstrued interpretation of whatever passage that they've proof-texted, cherry-picked to try to make their point. I mean, we've seen this over and over throughout church history, friends. That's why it's important to know where we have been. But false teachers are not just out there. We must be careful. We must be watchful and realize that just because someone says Jesus doesn't mean they're talking about the Jesus of the Bible. Just because someone says, all glory be to God, does not mean that they're talking about the God of all creation. Just because it sounds spiritual doesn't mean it's biblical. I mean, some of us get caught up in these ideas and these unbiblical principles that are only idols of the flesh and not true representation of God. And we must be watchful of this. Jude goes on and he says about these people, he says, these people long ago were designated for this condemnation. They were ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So what does he say? He says these false teachers have crept in, and he gives us a quick description of these people. He says, let me, let me tell you what they're like. First, he says they are designated for this condemnation. Uh, we'll look at this more in just a moment, but we all know that false teachers were prophesied in Scripture, right? I mean, just in the New Testament alone, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. Uh, Jesus himself, Matthew 7, 15 through 19. I mean, there's many more that we could look at. But we must take note here that this is something that is real and present in our day. He goes on and he talks about their character. He says what? They're ungodly. So listen, one of the best ways to tell false teaching is by someone's character. Now, I'm not just talking about how nice they are. I'm talking about how they truly live. If you look at the qualifications of an elder, what do you see? Most of those are character qualities. They are traits that are matters of character. And then there's the able to teach. So Jude says here that we can quickly tell if somebody's a false teacher by their character. These folks that had come in here, they were, they were ungodly. And then he gives us another description. He says they've perverted the gospel. They've perverted the grace of our God into sensuality. What does the word pervert mean? It means to change something glorious into something bad. We turn it into something that it was not intended for. And here and now, 
We see a lot of people do this, don't they? They, they turn the grace of God into a, a, a license to sin. They say, well, God loves you. Just do whatever you want. You know, he'll, he'll forgive you. He'll forgive you for whatever you're doing, no matter how you're doing it, how often you're doing it. And is God a God of forgiveness? Yes and amen. But friends, we are never called to abuse the grace of God for our own pleasures. We must ensure that we are not allowing outside influences to convince us that our sins, hidden, indwelling even, are okay. We must confess them. We must turn from them. Jude says here that this is a way that they're perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. He also says that they, in light of this, what are they doing? He says they deny their only master, our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I mean, we see this all the time, right? I mean, what is one of the biggest attacks right now? It's the attack on the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. Once again, as I said earlier, so many people, their God is themselves, their feelings, how they feel about whatever particular matter. It's a God couldn't have said that. And what does that sound like? Think back to Genesis 3. Did God really say? Of course God wouldn't do this. That's not what he meant when he told you that, Adam and Eve. And that's the same thing that plagues our world today. He goes on in verses Five through 16, and gives a condemnation, a judgment to these teachers. Uh, he gives examples of what happens to them. We're not going to look at all of these. He tells us they are worthless. Uh, he uses a lot of different descriptions. I want to encourage you this afternoon as you make time for some personal devotion, read through that. You can read through this all 25 verses today. Read through them, but reflect on especially 5 through 16 since we're not spending a lot of time there. But then in 17 through 23, Jude provides instruction after he's laid out the fact that there are false teachers. He sounded the alarm. He said, There are false teachers here. You need to be aware of them. Here's some of their character qualities. Here's what you need to do in spite of this. You need to contend for the faith. You need to be firm. You need to stand strong. And then here's how we do it. So I want to close here with three responses that we see here from Jude. Three responses to false teachers, to those that are contradicting right doctrine those that are contradicting the truth of God's word. We see first in 17 through 18 that we should not be surprised when we see false teachers. Look at what he says. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. I mean, once again, false teachers will come. Do not be surprised of this. Verse 19 goes on to tell us that it's the false teachers that cause division. See, a lot of times people that walk away from false teaching are considered divisive. Those that may leave a church, a ministry, that is not portraying the truth, they are deemed as divisive. They're divisive in an area that just is a matter of smallness. R.C. Sproul is helpful here. He once wrote, I quote, I hear people say doctrine divides. 
Of course, doctrine divides, but it also unites. It unites the ones who love God's truth and are willing to worship him according to that truth, end quote. See, listen, friends, brothers and sisters, our division should always be from those that are preaching or proclaiming falsehoods. We should be quick to leave that and to unite with those that are standing firm in sound doctrine. It brings us together. It unites us in special ways. And I'm not talking about secondary, tertiary issues here. I'm talking about matters that are pertinent to our faith. It goes on, we see the second response in verses 20 and 21. And that is that we should be built up in the love of God through prayer and meditation on his word. So we've got to be built up through prayer and looking at the word. Look at verse 20 and 21. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So how do we respond? Knowing that there are threats everywhere, what should we do? Right here. We keep ourselves in the word of God. We keep ourselves surrounded by good biblical teaching, by brothers and sisters that will disciple us, as we will talk about in the weeks to come, Lord willing. This is what we're called to do. We pray. We meditate on God's word. I've stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you, the psalmist writes. I mean, that's how we protect ourselves. You've probably heard before, right, that those that uh, check money and currency for counterfeits, they do what? They study the real thing. I actually did some research on that a couple years back because I'd heard it many times. I said, let me, let me see if this is true. And uh, one uh, scholar had actually uh, went to the federal government and asked them. And after a long time of going through the hoops, he actually had got the opportunity to sit down with a federal agent and ask them, is this really the truth? And they actually went through the process. They said, yes, Absolutely. They, they study, they, they feel it. There's like a three-part. They touch, see, and maybe smell uh, different things because it smells different if it's not right. That's true all the time. Then we must see this, though. It, it's not that we need to go out here and try to figure out all the false teachings. Now, you may have certain um, influence that God has given you for someone that has a particular belief that you are called to maybe learn a little bit more about that particular falsehood and then help to proclaim the truth to them as the Lord will give you that. Let me just encourage you, church, study the word. Know the word of God. I mean, that will protect you from so much fallacy. I told uh, some of our guys in our basketball ministry recently uh, just on the importance of studying God's word. And one thing that I regret is that I, I waited until my later years to start taking the Bible seriously. So kids, teens, young adults, listen to me right now. Study God's word. Listen to the instruction of God's word from your parents who should be leading in family worship. Teenagers, look at your Bible. Read your Bible. Pray through the Bible. Do not neglect the gift that we've been given for things that will not satisfy. As Pastor Gabe mentioned earlier, I mean, we have such 
a privilege in our day and age, in our country. I mean, the only reason why a Christian should be biblically illiterate in our day and age is because they choose to. Because they're spending their time on worldly endeavors rather than eternal matters. We have them in print everywhere. We have them on screens everywhere. There's free commentaries, theological works. I mean, there's nothing that should separate us from knowing God's word. Friends, take advantage of the time that you're in. Spend time in God's word, not just to know stuff, but to know him and adore him and worship him as he deserves. See, as our heart sees more of God and we see more of ourselves and we start to wonder, why would you ever save me? It then produces worship. And that's why Paul, towards the end of his life, he writes, I'm the chief of all sinners. That wasn't early on. Since Christ Jesus came to save, I know this. And I know this because I'm the chief of sinners. I can't believe he saved me. That's my paraphrase. But that's my life too. See, the more I get to know of this perfect, holy God, it's like a diamond on the backdrop of a, of a black cloth that just shows every purity of who he is. And I can see even more and more of his beauty. And at the same time, I see my worth and my worthlessness. But man, his power to save is so beautiful. And if we know him, we learn this, and it will prevent us from so much falsehood, so much pain. Brothers and sisters, be in your word. Third, in our last response, and our response to those that may especially be caught up in false teaching, Jude gives us here in 22 and 23. Here's what he says. Look there. This, this is a good reminder for us all. He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by Flesh. So our third response is that we are to show mercy to those who are struggling. I mean, going back to my illustration I started with this morning uh, with being caught in the storm. I mean, it would have been a pretty horrible thing for me to point my finger and laugh at those that got caught in the rain, right? I mean, that would have been a pretty crummy thing to do. To say, look at these morons, look at these idiots that are out there that didn't heed the warning. I just can't believe they would stay out there in the rain. And I mean, even after the sirens went off, like, what is wrong with them? I'm not better than them because I moved away. And brothers and sisters, we must remember we're not better than anyone because we've been saved. Those that might be struggling in an area of falsehood, we're instructed here to show mercy to them, to help them. And he says some were... We're going to have to snatch them out. Our love's going to look a little bit different. We're going to have to be a little more assertive and aggressive in certain areas. We're going to say, hey, you have to stop. You have to for the sake of your soul. You must stop this immediately. But there's times where there will be things where we're just lovingly pointing to the truth and being patient with them as they continue to, to think wrongly about particular matters. Listen, all of us at one time were caught up in falsehoods, even maybe uh, in our sin. We were caught by the sway of the world. Or maybe there, I know a lot of you, that were caught up in false teaching that have left certain religions. And the Lord was patient with you, wasn't he? So in turn, 
He calls us to show mercy to those that are struggling. Now, we must remember that the harshest judgment is reserved for who? The teachers. For those that are preaching. Now, I do believe that we are to deal with them in a different way based upon what God's word tells us. I mean, James 3.1 is a really good reminder for us here, right? Not many of you should be teachers. Why? Because there's a heavier judgment. So those that are preaching, proclaiming, perpetuating falsehoods will receive a harsher judgment, and I believe they should receive harsher criticism. It's a personal conviction based upon my interpretation of God's word. And of those that have gone before us, John Calvin once said, right, the pastor should have two voices, one for the sheep and one to drive out the wolves, to speak against those that are perpetuating falsehoods. So let me just close here with a reminder that we must be rooted in doctrine. We must be rooted in God's word, right doctrine. We must be faithful to what has been delivered to us. Listen, I have a just kind of a personal, like, if it's new, it probably ain't right. That's just my personal thing. So I encourage you to search the word, know the word, know God. He's given us his word. When we do family devotions, I tell my kids all the time, it's important that you pay attention to what I'm reading because this is God's word for us. This isn't just daddy speaking. It's God's word. And I need that reminder myself that when we open God's word, we are hearing from him. And through the spirit's work and in through his word, brothers and sisters, we're changed. He convicts us of sin and he gives us a way out. So may we be a church that holds fast to the truth, contradicting when needed error and showing mercy to those that may not be as far as long as we are. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness towards us. We thank you, God, that you have not dealt with us as we deserve. But you have been merciful. You have been kind. You have shown us favor when we have not earned anything. And Lord, help us to remember that your grace is not only sufficient for us, but it is sufficient for all whom you choose. And so, Lord, would you give us favor amongst men, women, children that we have the opportunity to influence. May we be a people that stands on the truth of your word given to us, handed down, delivered to us. May we be a church that proclaims the truth faithfully for generations to come. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.